Divine Healing. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 5. Father, again we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We slow ourselves down here for a moment, Father, and we choose in Jesus' name now to incline our ears unto your sayings. In Jesus' name, Father, we ask you to come and, and speak to us in a language that we'll understand. We ask you to speak to us in words that we can comprehend easily. We ask you to unveil these things to us and to help us to have it firmly established in our own spirits what your will is concerning healing and even why you so long to manifest yourself as the healer of our bodies. So Father, we trust you. We thank you that we're going to let your word speak to us. Your word speak to us louder than any man's words. Help us know, Father, that we must allow the Word of God to be the loudest voice, the loudest voice in our lives. There are many, many voices, Scripture says. But yours is the voice, yours is the words that lead to eternal life, that lead to freedom, that lead to life itself. So, Father, help me again, please to open my mouth and to faithfully amplify and give the sense of these things, Father. If I say things that are not of you, Father, I, I really sincerely pray that the, the words just drop to the ground, Lord. But your will, Father, is what we want. And we want to see the manifestations of these things for many reasons, but most of all for your reasons. So we trust you now, Father. Now, Holy Spirit, rise up big in each of us. Quicken us. You're the quickener. You're the one who makes us alive. You're the ones who quickens our mortal flesh. You're the healing agent, for that matter, of the Lord and the earth today. And you're with us. You're in us. And you're around us right now. And we ask you, we ask you, you said we have not because we ask not. We ask you to rise up and live big in us today. We ask you to open the eyes of our understanding and open our ears that we might hear all these wonderful things that you've done and what your will is. So, Father, help us now as we look into these things some more. And we do pray, Father, that your words will be written upon the fleshly tablets of our hearts, not just thoughts that we have in our minds, but that these things will literally be engraved into our spirit man so that they're one with us so that they're one with us that we might not be separate from them but that we might be joined to them in faith so we thank you for this father in jesus matchless name amen i want you to turn if you i don't know which page you have but it's lesson three at the top of lesson three in the curriculum where it says healing belongs to us and again, as we, walk in th as we walk through this, like I'm trying to say, even these eight hours of teaching on healing are, of course, again, just that. They also are an overview. And as we're going to see again today, the main issue about God's will to heal us uh, 
Thanks, honey. The main issue about God's will to heal us is far more reaching in our lives than just our own personal needs. And we're going to look at what I mean by that in a few moments. But again, remember this statement we make in every course, faith begins where the will of God is known. It must be established in your spirit. It just must be like concrete in your spirit what the will of God is. It's not necessary. So many people say, well, I don't know what the will of God is. Well, there's too many scriptures that say otherwise. And again, we'll read several of the verses where Jesus, of course, himself, remember, said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So in other words, if we watch the life of Jesus Christ again, we can see, therefore, the will of God. So we can know what the will of God is. Therefore, we should be able to pray in faith because in, back in, when we teach our prayer, remember the basic scripture of prayer back in 1 John is that if we ask anything, I mean, God's word says, if we ask anything according to the will of God, that we can know that he hears us. And it says, if we know that he hears us, then we can know that we have granted us the petitions that we desire. So either that's true or it isn't. And we have to make that decision. Each human being has to make that decision in their own heart. So at the top of this page, I'm, I'm just gonna read a little statement that I wrote on my own notes here that won't be on yours, but just, just listen to this few sentences. I mean, really listen. God's way, and, and, and tell me whether or not you believe this is true. This is not on your notes, this is just on mine, but God's way of saving the soul of saving the body and of doing anything else he wants to do has always been to send his word or his promise, right? In other words, when all through the history of God's dealing with man, just keep it this simple. The way God saves is to send his word, to send his message through somebody, right? He then keeps the promise. God, all through scripture at least, always keeps his promise wherever it's produced faith. You hear me? Wherever it's produced faith, God's always kept his promise. Now, I mean, again, remember when we talk about healing or anything else, you have to really listen to me. You must separate yourself at least when you start, when you start. Now, what I mean, okay, let me just say, you must separate yourself personally from your own personal situation, your closest friend's situation, or anybody else's situation, as far as when you're first making the decision to ascertain what the will of God is. You hear me? In other words, if you don't, what you will do is again, what all of us did in the beginning, we will take God's word and look at it through our experience. And we will say, well, my experience says otherwise. So God's word must mean something else because my experience says otherwise. So what we're trying to say is what I had to do years and years ago before God began to do anything in my life, I had to learn a hard lesson. And that was just, I use the word divorce. I had to divorce myself from my own emotions. You hear what I mean by that? 
In other words, I had to set all, how Rod felt to the side. I had to set how Rod thought about things by himself to the side. And I had to make the decision, I'm going to look into the Bible just to ascertain what the Bible says God's will is. And I'm not going to get frustrated or anything else about what my experience is at the moment. I just want to see what God's will is. What does God's word say? Not what I've experienced, not what my pastor says, not what my grandma says, not what anybody else says. What does God's word actually say is his will? That's where you have to begin. Because again, truth is the issue, not experience. And experience, remember, is not necessarily truth. Experience, whatever you've experienced, is factual, remember? It's factual. Whatever you've experienced is factual, it's a fact, but just because it's a fact, it doesn't mean it's God's truth. No, it's what you've experienced, so therefore it's the facts of your life at this present moment. But what I learned again all those years ago, and if you've been with me for any time at all, you've heard me say this so many times, I, I had to learn the difference between facts and truth. I had to learn that anything that you can see, remember, remember scripture says that anything that you can see, Paul said, all those things which are seen are subject to change. Remember 1 Corinthians. Everything that you can see, in other words, everything that's revealed to your five physical senses is subject to change. That's what scripture says. The King James, the word that's used is temporal. All those things that are seen are temporal, but those things that are unseen, it says, are eternal. So what I had to learn to do is recognize that while the fact is the fact, he said, the Lord said to me all these years ago, son, he said, if you'll learn to take truth, which is my word, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and you begin to apply truth to the facts. He said, well, if you have to ask yourself which will change, well, the facts would have to change because the truth will never change. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Just nod your head and act like you understand it. Truth is always the truth. It's just truth is eternal. I mean, God's truth is eternal. Okay. So again, let me just read that comment again. God's way of saving the soul, of healing the body, or of doing anything else he wants to do is, and has always been, to send his word, to send his word or to send his promise to the people. That's what he did with Abram. That's what he did all through scripture. God then always kept his promise wherever it produced faith in an individual. The issue is whether or not it produced faith. And that's why we have to teach over and over again the basics of faith. Hebrews says the word preached, not being mixed with faith, does not profit them who heard it, right? So the issue is once you hear the word of God, you have to mix this animal, this thing called faith with it. That's why you have to find out what real faith is. All right, now let's look down here at the very very first truth again. I mean, I'm going to quote one verse first, but again, this is exactly the same procedure. In other words, this divine procedure is how God does everything. Psalm 107.20 is on other parts of your notes, but you might write that down again. Psalm 107.20 is where it very simply says, he sent his word, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. That's Psalm 107.20. Okay. Now, if you want to, if you get your Bible, turn to Exodus 15, and we'll start there. That's on the on that outline there. It's, it's page, evidently, it's page nine on your notes. But in Exodus chapter 15, I'm going to start just in verse 
23. This is, this is when they've come out of, uh, all the Israelites have come out of Egypt. God's led them out by a strong hand through Moses. And they're singing the song of Moses through the several first verses of chapter 15. Then in verse 22, Exodus 15, 22, it says, Then Moses led Israel onward from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness, but they found no water. Verse 23, When they came to Marah, they could not drink its waters, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah, or bitterness. Now verse 24, The people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now watch this. The people murmured unto Moses, saying, What should we drink? Verse 25, And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which he cast into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. Now that tree, of course, is a type of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That tree is a type. I mean, all, remember all scripture, no scriptures without signification. So right from the beginning, but this is important because the next verse says, well, let me read 25 and 26 together. And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree which he cast into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, saying, he proved them, saying something. This is what he said. If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, and will do what is right in his sight, and will listen to and obey his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases upon you which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now this is the very first major promise that God gives to his people. The first major promise after they come out. Now you, remember all the types and shadows we talk about. Israel coming out of Egypt. Remember Egypt is a, is a type or represents the world. Israel represents the church as they come out of the world, as they came out of Egypt, and they came to the situation where they began to journey towards where the promises are, the very first thing that happens is they find bitter water. The very first promise God gives is, he said, he said you th if the man of God will get the tree in the middle of that water, it will heal it. Again, there's so many things we could talk about here because inside of you there's water. Exit, you know, Ezekiel 47 speaks about how you're, you're, you're the temple of God. There's a river on the inside of you, but water that has nothing running in and out of it is stagnant and so on. But the point is, again, the very first promise God makes is this, that he's going to heal. And again, that's, the, that's where it says there, I am the Lord God, the healeth thee. That is where we first get the very first redemptive name of God, which is Jehovah Rapha. Now I'm going to read something. On the outline it says, I will permit none of these diseases to come upon you. I am the Lord that healeth thee. The very first redemptive name shared from heaven with God's people is that of his will to be a healer. Now I'm going to read this one, these two pages from uh, Bosworth's book, Christ the Healer. So if you have it, it's on least and minus on page 90 and 91. But it speaks in the Old Testament there are seven redemptive names of God. Seven names that always refer to some part of his redemptive nature. In other words, that part which redeems, which is going to pay for something so that you don't have to pay for it. I'm just going to read what Bosworth said here. So if you'll just listen to this. Since God heals us by sending his word, what can be more his word than his redemptive and covenant names, which were given all seven of them. There's seven redemptive names. 
which were given, all seven of them, for the specific purpose of revealing to every man in Adam's race his redemptive attitude towards him. In other words, every one of God's redemptive names reveal another aspect of who God is, of what God's will is towards his people. Now remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His will towards his people has never changed. Remember, he's a father. He's a good father. He's not a tyrant. He's not a dictator. We've received the spirit of adoption whereby our hearts cry, Abba, Father. Now watch. When Christ commands us to preach the gospel to every creature, he means that we shall tell the good news of redemption. His seven redemptive names reveal what our redemption includes. Now, of course, he has many other names, but only seven redemptive names. These seven names are never used in the scriptures except in his dealings with man. There are not six names, there's not eight names, but seven, and seven is always the perfect number because God is a perfect savior. His redemption covers the whole scope of human need. The blessings revealed by each of these names are all in the atonement. And now he, I'm just gonna list them, and oh, well, he lists them here, but if you'll just again listen. For instance, Jehovah Shammah means the Lord is present. That's, and these are all from the Old Testament, and we see these types, of course, fulfilled in the New Testament. Jehovah Shammah means the Lord is present, and we've been made nigh by the blood of Christ. Jehovah Shalom is translated, the Lord is our peace. This is in the atonement because the chastisement of our peace or necessary for our peace was upon him. Jehovah Ra'ah is translated, the Lord is my shepherd. He became our shepherd by giving his life for the sheep. This privilege is in the atonement as well. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide an offering. Christ himself was the offering that was provided on Calvary. He also became Jehovah Nissi, which means the Lord our banner or victory by spoiling principalities and powers on the cross. He bore our sins and became Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. He opened the way for every sinner to receive the gift of righteousness or right standing with God. And finally, Jehovah Rapha is translated, I am the Lord that healeth thee, or I am the Lord thy physician. This also is in the atonement, for he himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And what Bosworth is saying here is, all seven redemptive aspects of God's names were totally fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. In other words, the provision that was there that God was revealing to his people when he said, hey, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord that heals thee. I am the Lord your righteousness. I am the Lord your shepherd. I am the Lord the, the army of hosts. I mean, all these things. I'm the Lord your peace. God was revealing to his people more of who he was. But again, what Bosworth is saying here is in, in Christ, every single one of these things are, of course, affirmed in Christ and available to us through him. This completes the list of seven names which are given for the purpose of revealing God's relationship toward all of us under each of these seven titles. These seven names all belong abidingly to Christ. It is under each of these seven titles that he is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus says to all who come to him for any of these seven blessings, quote, he that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. This is the good news that God once preached to every creature so that every creature may have the privilege of enjoying the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. I say again that nothing is more God's word settled in heaven than his redemptive name, Jehovah Rapha. No one has a right to change God's, listen, 
No one has a right to change God's I am Jehovah Rapha to I was Jehovah Rapha. The word of the Lord endures forever. And then you have to see, hear what he's saying. The I am in front of any of those things is this, you know, the holiest thing in all of Jewish history. That's what calls it's, well, I don't want to confuse you. It's called the tetragrammation of his name, the Yahweh part. But he said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. For anybody to say he was, you see, is a travesty of misrepresentation of who Almighty God is. Because you can't change his name. I mean, well, you might want to change your name. But let me tell you, if people have known you for 20 years as Joe or Adam, if they've known him for that long, every time you see him, that's still who he's going to be. Even though he may have changed name, you'll always know him by that other name. So what he said is, no one has the right to change God's I am, Jehovah Rapha I was, the word of the Lord endureth forever. Since Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace is one of Christ's redemptive names, has not every man, ask yourself this question, listen to how he asks this. Since Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord our peace, is one of Christ's redemptive names, does any man have a redemptive right, or excuse me, has not every man a redemptive right to obtain peace from him? In other words, does everybody today have the right to receive peace from God? Right? Because that's, that's part of what, his, what he's made available. Has not every man likewise a redemptive right to obtain victory from Jehovah Nissi? Has not every man a redemptive right to obtain the gift of righteousness from Jehovah Sidkenu, etc., etc., etc.? In other words, if all of these other aspects of who God is is available today to us, and we can't argue about that, we know that, you know, we've already taught eight hours on, on righteousness, how right standing with God is imputed, is deposited to our accounts by virtue of our faith, not because we are righteous and so perfectly behaved people, but because again, his righteousness. If all of those things are part and parcel of what he's done, he's saying again, if so, why has not every man exactly the same and equal redemptive right to obtain healing from Jehovah Rapha? In other words, how can we say that all the other six names and what they represent are available and we all nod our heads, yes, 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 yes. But when we get to Rapha, when we get to healing, we say, well, m maybe not. And he's saying, yeah, you, that's, that's totally wrong logic. You can't think that way. The word Jehovah Rapha, in fact, was so accepted and believed by those to whom it was first sent that, quote, remember, there was not one feeble person among all their tribes. That's incredible. Think about it. Not one feeble person, two million people coming out of Egypt. Not one feeble person among them. Whenever this state of health was interfered with, Whenever this state of health was interfered with by their transgressions, in other words, when they sinned and sicknesses or plagues did come, as soon as they repented, I, I mean, this is what I had to do all those years ago too. You see, people like today to camp, they like to park in the negative. And they like to say, well, look, it says right here, God put a plague on them. I mean, in the old covenant, you know, God did this, God did that, God did this. Sickness is here, sickness is there. But I, I would challenge you, like the Lord challenged me, find one place in Scripture, even where there was sickness or where there was uh, plagues, where when God's people repented, they weren't instantaneously restored. 
I mean, you have to do that for yourself. See, don't believe my teaching. This is why you need to go to the scriptures yourself and ask yourself some questions. And quit just believing every single thing that comes across the pulpit that violates what God's word says. Remember, faith comes by hearing, right? And remember that phrase, it says, it's a multiple statement in the Greek. It doesn't mean, it does not say faith comes by having heard one time. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. In other words, what you continually hear over and over and over again will ultimately create within you a belief system. You'll walk away believing, you will walk away believing whatever you continually hear because it has that power because again, hearing is a spiritual gateway. But again, this is why we have such weakness in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today because again, I say this over and over again, we have churches full of people that have been trained to hear sermons. They've not been trained to study the Bible for themselves. <clears throat> they depend on another man's interpretation as opposed to looking into the scriptures and finding out for themselves what does God's word say. Let me tell you, you're gonna have to be an individual. You hear me? You've gotta be singular about this. You can't let somebody else color, you know, paint on your canvas as it were. You have to become your own artist. You have to be who you are. You have to find out for yourself what the will of God is because you can have a thousand people around about you telling you it's one way. But I wanna tell you something, the old story is true. You and God by yourselves are a majority. <laughs> In other words, if you and a God get in, if you and God Almighty get into agreement, there's nothing that will be withheld from you when you actually pair yourself with him and allow him to be the loudest voice in your life. But again, there are so many situations out here in this world round about us. It's literally like a bee's nest of just activity where there's so much saturation of unbelief in the atmosphere that again, like Bosworth said in another place, it's, it's amazing that God gets any healing through to us today. But this is why I keep saying, you've got to quit judging God's word from your own experience. Let me just read this last paragraph again, then we'll get back to the notes. This word, Jehovah Rapha, was so accepted and believed by those to whom it was first sent that there was not one feeble person among all the tribes. Whenever this state of health was interfered with by their transgressions or sins, as soon as they repented, typical atonements were made. God was still Jehovah Rapha, the healer, not to some, but to all. God wants this redemptive name, as well as all others, to be sent to every creature with the promise that they shall recover and the Lord shall raise them up. Now, the thing is, though, we've got a group, you know, most ministers are afraid because Again, there's just so much doubt in there, but every single time, if you're a believer, when you lay hands on somebody in the name of Jesus Christ, recovery begins. It has to. Do you really understand that? It has to. Otherwise, if for God's word to be true, it has to begin. But recovery, just that, they shall recover. There's, that means it implies a time span, again, Remember in the other courses, we talked about how most of us are so miracle-minded. We're expecting this instantaneous change where all the circumstances are altered in a moment. That is a miracle. I, I like you, I wish everything was miraculous, but the Bible doesn't talk and say that everything is a miracle. That's why in the gifts of the Spirit, there's the gifts of healings and the working of miracles. 
gifts of healings. The very word healing speaks to a time span. So in other words, what you have to see is that when a man of God or woman, when you do, when you say in the name of Jesus Christ, I receive Jesus as my healer, just like I did as my savior. And I believe right now that the healing power of God is at work in my body. In Jesus' name, I receive you as my healer. I mean, from that instant, I mean, there's a cellular something begins to function and flow. There's a spiritual work. Remember, the word of God becomes flesh. The word of God becomes flesh. That which is unseen becomes seen. That which has spiritual substance literally will take upon itself physical substance, but the agent that causes that is your belief in your heart, not in your head, but in your heart. If a man will believe in his heart and confess with his mouth, he should be healed, just like he should be saved. Because it's the same power that heals you, that saves you. Remember that. I know that you know it, but remember that. So back to the outline. So the very first promise, like I said, is he said, for I will put none of the diseases upon you that came upon Egypt. He said, for I am. Let me tell you who I am. He said, I am the Lord God that heals. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah anyhow. Just, just, just make me feel good, would you? Like I said. You move on to Exodus chapter 23. And if nothing else, these, this, this lesson here that you have on your outline, these scriptures that are here, if, if you are fighting sickness or disease or you know somebody who is, these are scriptures that you ought to have. Uh, just, just these on these next few pages are enough for you to meditate on day and night to change your circumstances. In Exodus 23, we see a similar promise here. Verse, I'm going to start in verse 22. God's speaking again to his people, you know, because he's constantly, I mean, you know, having to speak to his people just like he is today. Verse 22, Exodus 23, 22. But if you will indeed listen to and obey God's voice and all that he speaks, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I reject them and blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods or serve them or do after their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break down their pillars and images. You shall serve the Lord your God. He shall bless your bread and water, and I will take sickness from your midst. The King James says, I will take sickness out from the midst of you. Verse 26, none shall lose her young by miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Now, remember what I said in the beginning? You need to get these scriptures and say to yourself out loud when you read them, this is the will of God. Has God changed? Is God the same yesterday, today, and forever, or is he not? So you, you have to make that decision. You've got to quit looking at whatever the circumstance is and look at this and say, wait a second, his will is, he said, if you'll serve me, I will bless your food, I will bless your water, I will take sickness out of the midst of you. It won't even be in your area. Now, later, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to get way ahead of myself. I can show you a scripture where it just categorically it says, 
that it just says there, there shall be if there shall be none sick among you. It says it over and over. There shall be none sick among you, and that's still the will. And that's in the Old Testament. And remember what we keep saying: we have a better testament. We have a better covenant based upon better promises. But again, these truths have been diluted, diluted, diluted. So people have fallen so far away from the purity of the gospel that they have believed lies. They have believed things that were not true. Remember Paul said, if somebody comes unto you preaching another gospel, that's not the gospel. Or preaching another Christ, that is not the Christ. Let him be accursed. And you need to understand there are a lot of gospels out there that aren't the gospel. There are a lot of Christ being preached that aren't the real Christ of the Bible. In another place, remember, Paul said, not all Israel is Israel. What's he mean by that? Just not all church is the church. They may have the form, the structure, and the appearance. But again, you can only go here. It says, beware of those. Paul said to Timothy, beware of those, he said, who who have the form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. The power of it's not available today, they will say. You, it's, he said, beware of those. So again, all of us see it. It's, it's a tough thing, like I said. This is why it's a personal. Christianity is a very personal, personal journey. I wish that we could all find perfect churches, but like, it's the oldest of jokes. People always ask me where to go to church, and they, they used to say, well, I'm looking for the perfect church, and I'd always tell them, well, I don't know why you're looking for the perfect church, because if there was one, as soon as you joined it, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. <laughs> because, all, because all of us are imperfect, you know what I mean? There's no such thing as a perfect church. But there is a perfect Savior. I said there is a perfect Savior. And he's very individualistic. And if you will give yourself to him, I mean, he, he will delight in showing himself strong to you. In Deuteronomy 7, the next verse there on page 9 of your notes, Deuteronomy 7, verse 13 through 15. I'll just read it from the outline. It says, And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb, the fruit of thy land, thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep in the land which he sware unto thy fathers to give thee. Verse 14, Thou shalt be blessed above all people, there shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. Verse 15, and the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Again, I, I know I'm stopping on the same thing over and over again, but you know, I've been reading this stuff for 20 some years myself, you know. And at times, it's, you know what I mean? It just shocks me still, because I look at this and I just realize, you know, I mean, how can anybody say, I mean, even back then, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people. And God says over and over again, listen, just serve me. One of the benefits, remember one of the first things we started back here, in fact, this is the next one. Psalm 103, it says, remember, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not any of his benefits, who forgives all thy iniquity, who healeth all thy diseases. I mean, how can anybody that's an honest reader, just that has two eyes to see, read this and not see that God's best, God's perfect will, God's perfect will is that there be no sickness amongst his people. I mean, how, 
how can anybody say that it's not in the scriptures? Because it's all, he, he says over and over again, one of the benefits of serving me, as he said, there'll be no sickness in your midst. Now, that brings me to just a statement I, I wrote down here, too, about healing. And uh, all I want to say is this. This is why I think in these last days, you know, we're in the most unstable time that the earth has ever known, aren't we? I mean, really. Economically speaking, politically speaking, any way you want to look at it right now, the earth is just, you know, it's what Hebrews says. All those things that can be shaken will be shaken. Uh, the church, the nations of the world are becoming more and more what we call uh, church unfriendly. You know what I mean? The, we're, uh, there's more persecution coming and even the free world in the West than there's ever been before. You know, in, in America, we were talking earlier before the class started, but in America where, you know, so much has gone out to other nations for the last, you know, 100 years. There's so much insanity taking place with them taking, you know, the Ten Commandments out of the courtrooms and... There's all kinds of people fighting back, but you know, you can't even use the name of Jesus in places. You can't have the Bible in rooms. You can't bring God into the classroom, that's for sure. And, and it just, there's so many things happening in the world. And I, again, a blind man is able to see again that we're racing towards a time of judgment. I mean, as far as God's end times. So the masses of the world are being seduced away from anything of purity and righteousness. You know, we're being seduced away from, from, the, from the basic truths of Scripture. And even the church itself, like I said, we have tons of churches now that are very what we call shallow. They're a mile wide, but they're only an inch deep. In other words, where they're so user-friendly uh, that they no longer preach the cross. They no longer talk about the blood. They just talk about social economics and they talk about humanistic potential and they talk about, you know, all manner of things, but they don't speak about the cross of Christ and really the sacrifice of Christ and really about what life is about today, how we need to receive it. So I said all that to say this, one of the, th one of the major evangelistic tools, I believe, in the last days by far is going to be just this. You see, we, we've been trying to force God to move so much as it were, you know, in our own lives because of our own personal needs. I know what it means to need healing. We all, everybody in this room at some time in their life knows what, it need, knows what it means to need healing. None of us like sickness and disease. But I, if you can look beyond your own personal need, what I'm trying to get at is this. Can you, can you understand that knowing what God's will is about healing, Knowing how to believe God, knowing how to, even like those of you that are in the covenant class, when we're teaching about what it means to be blessed, I have blessed you so that you might be a blessing. To know that God's actually deposited, when, he's, when he saved us, he blessed us. He put a deposit of his power on the inside of us because he wants us to take that power and transmit it to others. He wants us to get out there and if you, I don't know if any of you have hands, but he wants you to take these hands and lay them on people that they might recover. But my point is, you see, I, I found that, you know, uh, if you really want to see God move again in any situation, uh, it's when you begin to live for the needs of others. That's all I know how to say. If you can see that, if you can study healing from the potential or from the aspect of this, I want to understand healing for far more than just my own personal need. I want to understand that it's God's will to heal because I want to be one of those people that is in position when God puts me in a place 
where I can minister to someone else. Because I'm telling you, we're racing to the day where the only thing that's going to talk, listen, our, it won't be our much, it won't be our speech. It won't, like Paul said, I did not come to you with clever conversation. Or he said, I didn't come to you with, with fine words, but I came to you in the manifestation and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just saying, if there's ever a time where we need the manifestation of God's Spirit, it's now. Because again, those people, I watched a special on BBC just night before last, you know, where they had a Christian politician on with these other politicians and they just, you know, basically ripped this guy to shreds. You know, it, it would only take one manifestation of the Spirit of God in a room to shut everybody's mouth. You know what I'm trying to say. So I'm saying as we study these things, I'd like you to keep that in mind too. Yes, God will heal you. Yes, God will touch your body. Yes, you know, you need to know how to re release your faith for yourself. But see, see beyond that. Get beyond your own personal goal and begin to live towards God's goals. Because that's when you find your own needs getting met amazingly much quicker. When you begin to live for the good of others, your own needs get swallowed up in the midst of living to meet the needs of others. And I tell you, one of the most debilitating things about sickness and disease is, listen to me, one of the most debilitating things about sickness and disease is, is it keeps you centered on self. It keeps you centered and focused on self. You are so aware of your pain, your illness, the way you feel, that you can't get your mind off of you. And understandably so in cases, when you deal with some cancer patients, the, way, the pain that they're in. But it's amazing when people are able to get their focus off of them. And see, that's what we have to do. You have to shift somehow. You have to be, have an aggression about you, a violence about you almost enough that you can take this, this, this thing that you've self-trained yourself towards for so long of giving yourself all the attention and moving it to giving God's word attention. That's when you begin to see things change. It's, it's just an amazing thing. It's like a, a spiritual law that's engaged. You have to move from self to selflessness. And that's when God begins to move in this stuff. But again, so let's remember that when we study this stuff. Yeah, God will heal us, but let's understand God wants to heal the unsaved. He really does. I don't, I, so often people will say, well, will God heal a sinner? And you start laughing. Well, who else did Jesus heal? Was anybody saved that Jesus ministered to? Well, they couldn't have been saved because Jesus hadn't died and been raised from the dead yet. So point four in the outline, again, we just quoted Psalm 103.3. This is healing in the Old Testament. It says, God, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Psalm 107.20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Jeremiah 33.6, behold, I will bring it health and cure and I will cure them and will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. That's all God's will in the Old Testament. Now in Jesus' ministry, let's move real quickly because I've got about seven minutes here. In Matthew chapter four, let's move real quickly just through some of the basic scriptures here. In Matthew four, and remember Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Matthew four, verse, uh, well, 21, Matthew 4, 21. And going on further from there, he noticed two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets and putting them right, and he called them. At once they left the boat and their father and joined Jesus as disciples. They sided with his party and followed him. Verse 23 and 24. And he, Jesus, he went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every 
disease and every weakness and infirmity among the people. So the report of him spread throughout all Syria. And let me tell you, wherever there's healings, there's a lot of reports. So the report of him spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all who were sick, those afflicted with various diseases and torments, those under the power of demons and epileptics and paralyzed people, and he healed them. So again, why, why are we looking at this? Just because what did the ministry of Jesus really comprise? I mean, everywhere he went, he healed the sick. Turn to Mark 5 real quick. I've taught this when we taught on faith because it's the most classic. It's a passage about the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus. But if you watch this, Mark chapter 25, it says in verse 21, it says, and when Jesus had recrossed in the boat to the other side, a great throng gathered about him and he was at the lake shore. Then one of the rulers of the synagogue came up, Jairus by name, and calling him, and seeing, and excuse me, then one of, the, one of the rulers of the synagogue came up, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he prostrated himself at his feet. And he begged him earnestly, Jairus said, my little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her. I wonder why he said that, because it's all through history. But come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. And remember, this is where he released his faith. When we taught about faith and how the release of faith works, Jesus Christ, remember, always meets people where they believe. He has to find out where you believe because he can only work with faith. This is where Jairus releases faith. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. And Jesus just went. Jesus responds to what a man believes. So, and Jesus went with him and a great crowd kept following him and pressed him from all sides so as almost to suffocate him. But then there's an interruption. On the way to Jairus' house, remember, there's this interruption. And there was a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and who had endured much suffering under the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had. She was no better, but instead she grew worse. She had heard, faith comes by hearing. She had heard the reports concerning Jesus and she came up behind him in the throng and she touched his garment for she had kept saying, and it means that she'd been saying this thing over and over again. In other words, here's what she believed. For she kept saying, if I can only touch his garments, I shall be restored to health. If I can only get to him and touch his garments, I'll be restored to health. If I can own, this is what she believed. See, her heart was full of this aspect. This is what she believed. It says, she reached, she came to up, came in behind, she touched his garment, for she kept saying, if I only touch his garments, I should be healed. And immediately, it says, her flow of blood was dried up at the source. Suddenly, she felt in her body that she was healed of her ailment. And Jesus, recognizing in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around immediately in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples kept saying to him, what do you mean, who touched your clothes? You see the crowd pressing hard around you from all sides, and you ask, who touched me? But still remember, Jesus turned and kept saying and kept looking around for the person who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had been done for her, though alarmed and frightened and trembling, fell down before him, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith, what you believed has made you whole. He said, go in peace and be continually healed and freed from your distressing ailment. Now again, then he goes on and 
and heals Jairus' daughter as well. But again, we've got to stop at this hour. But remember, the major part of this teaching that's so powerful is that Jesus Christ could be in this room right now physically, right? And that doesn't mean that anybody would receive anything from him. That's something that still shocks me every time I think about it. Everybody's touching Jesus, but nothing's flowing from Jesus as they're on the way to Jairus' house. But this woman reaches, presses to the crowd and touches him. Jesus doesn't even know, according to scripture, that she's around, right? Right? Doesn't even know that she's there. But the moment she touches him, it says that he feels this power flow out of him. He feels, it just pulls, it sucks it out of him. And he just is shocked and he stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples, again, all thinking in the natural are saying, well, what do you mean? Everybody's touching you. But Jesus kept looking around because there was something about this touch that was different. And the only aspect of script that tells us what made this touch different in scripture was that it was her faith. She touched him believing that when she touched him, she would be healed. And her faith caused something to come out of Jesus without even Jesus knowing that she was around that totally healed her. And this is why, again, we've got to catch this. Faith and healing always work together. You do, don't limit healing just to the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. Most of the healings take place because of our faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.